you again and today I'm happy to have with me two beloved Christians uh, Pastor Jeff Carpenter and his wife Denise so welcome to the show thank you uh, I have been asked by a good many people why it is I've interviewed so many nuns and why it is I talk about how former priests have come to Biblical faith out of Catholicism, like our book, uh, Far From Rome, Near to God, The Testimonies of 50 Converted Catholic Priests, and we have a similar book of uh, 20 former nuns, because people say, well, I'm just an ordinary Catholic, and, you know, day-to-day Catholic living is the same as, as Christian living, is it not? That's what they'll say, and why do you not talk with ordinary uh, former Catholics, why is it you deal with the priests and nuns especially? And a good question because I think we've got to deal with ordinary Catholics as well and that's what I want to do with today. I want to contrast what it is like for an ordinary Catholic to be Catholic and then to come into life in Christ Jesus. And uh, I would like to come to the topic with another objection that is normally put to me and this sometimes quite forcibly uh, people say to me well why can we not just get on why have you got to always talk about former Catholics who come to biblical faith why can we not just fight the major issues there's so much atheism in the world people don't believe in God there's so much abortion Um, there's so much homosexuality these grave moral causes. Why not work together and face these major issues? And so what? What is this whole business about being born again? <laughs> why? Why are you getting all flustered? So I'd like to begin off with you, Jeff. You're now a pastor and uh, you work Catholic. Can you tell us something about your coming to Christ and why it was so important? Uh, why you would see that as major and while other things are important homosexuality, abortion and atheism why is it that this idea of coming to Christ and knowing the gospel why is that so major? Well Richard, 
main reason that that's so major is because we're talking about the eternal destiny of our soul. And you, know, you can cure somebody of homosexuality or stop abortion in America, but that's still not going to deal with the eternal destiny of our soul. And so the main reason is because we're talking about people's souls and the eternal destiny of where they're going to go. Yes, well that is, that certainly puts it in good perspective. Now in that perspective, how did God deal with your own soul, Jeff? You grew up, did you grow up as a fairly devout Catholic and a devout Catholic family, or how was it? We grew up in a fairly devout Catholic family. I grew up in my childhood. Um, I went to a public school. A public school allowed us to go to religious instruction classes one period a week. They would dismiss us. We'd go across the street and we would meet with the, with the priest and also with the nuns. So we were grounded well in Roman Catholicism doctrine. Uh, we were, of course, we kept the, the sacraments of the church from being baptized as a baby and on through with, with communion and confession, uh, being confirmed. We had our, made our confirmations classes and were confirmed. And so, and as we watched the other kids, but we would go to the church. We had a little parish not far from really where I pastor the church now. It's kind of interesting. But so we would go to our, our little church every Saturday night or Sunday morning, whichever seemed to fit our schedule for the, for the particular week. And we would sit through Mass after Mass, and we never got to know the people. And it didn't really seem to impact our life. Um, it was something more of a, of a ritual, I guess you could say, that we did. We would go to church. We would do our... We'd go to the confessional, usually before we'd get there like an hour early, go to confessional, come home, come out, do our penance. And then, of course, in the time of the Mass when you had the communion service, uh, you would partake of the, of, the, of the Lord's body. And we did that week in and week out. Uh, the kids that we were grew up with just seemed to be ordinary as everybody else. It's just that we went to church, and, and we really thought that every time when we went to church, our sins were being washed away. And then we could sin that week, and then we could do the same thing the next week, and our sins would be washed away. And this this thing just kept going on, on and on and on and on. I probably stayed faithful to that till I was 15 or 16 years old. Uh, then I moved away from the Catholic Church, like a lot of young people do, even in true religions, they move away. And I moved away and be, began to dabble in worldliness, and sin in my life was increasing. I wasn't getting more godly. Uh, I started working at a mill. I ended up working on a 3 to 11 shift, and uh, I would do my laundry every Monday morning. Monday morning was laundry morning. So I got all my clothes gathered together, and I headed for a laundromat uh, down here in town and put my laundry in all the machines. And then I went and sat down, waiting for the wash machines to finish up. And there was a round table there, uh, and there was a gospel track on it. gospel track is simply a little piece of paper that tells you it has some Bible verses in it and talks about how you can know Christ as Savior, and how you can be reconciled to God. So I picked that thing up and I read it, and one of the first phrases in that gospel tract that caught my attention was, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I understood that I had to be born again to see God, but I had never heard or didn't know anything about this phrase, born again, but I knew if I wasn't born again, I was in serious trouble. Uh, so I read on. And as I read that gospel track, I realized that I was a sinner before God. And that Jesus Christ paid my sin debt, and that I must repent to Him, and trust Him, and exclude everything else in my life to save me. Well, after my laundry was done, I gathered my laundry up, I went out into the pickup truck, and there in that parking lot 
uh, I just simply bowed my head and bowed my heart before the Lord and said, Lord, I am a sinner before you. I acknowledge my sinfulness and from now on, I'm trusting Jesus Christ to the exclusion of everything else in my life to save me. What I meant by that was I was no longer trusting my baptism. I was no longer trusting my penance. I was no longer trusting communion to wash away sin. I was simply trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. Well, praise God. This is just a wonderful testimony. I, uh, I was thinking by just saying this how... Uh, I took 14 years of search, you know, and there was uh, so suddenly the grace of God Amen. convicted you, but it was the essential things that you were a sinner, that you saw, and uh, that uh, you weren't trusting in anything else, uh, which in my 14 years of search, I always thought I was such a good person. Actually, I used to boast that I'd never committed a sin, <laughs> not realizing, of course, the sin of pride involved in that boasting. So, I think that's a a wonderful testimony. Uh, can you say something uh, what it was like to go into the confession box when you were Catholic and you whisper know, your sins in the year of the priest or do you remember any of them? Oh, I remember it well. <laughs> you would walk in, in a... After... Well, I'll get to that later, I guess. I would walk into the... It was like a little cubicle and the priest was behind a little... almost like a veil. And you would go in there and you would say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Well, our priest was an old order priest. And if you did not say that exactly how I just said it, bless me, Father, for I was sin, have sinned, he corrected you. And, I mean, if you missed the word Father particularly. But so he was just very strict in that area. And then he would, you would lay out your laundry list to him. But I would have to be honest and say that I don't think, as the older we got, I don't know that we told him all of our sins. But we told him the majority, at least I did. And then he would give me uh, penance. And I would, he would say, that, that was a series of prayers. Maybe five Hail Marys, uh, three Our Fathers, a couple after contritions or something of that nature. And then uh, he would dismiss us. And then we would go out into the, into the, to the sanctuary area and we would fold down the kneeling bench and we would say those penance. And that would also help to rid us of our sin. Of course, it wasn't complete until we took communion, which is what we were taught. Uh, but uh, that's what, that's, that's, I remember that well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you feel any different or was it an emotional high or did you feel any uh, assurance that everything was now okay? Or? No, I felt absolutely no assurance. Uh, I don't know that I felt anything except I was told this is what you had to do and so uh, almost like a ritual, I did it as a ritual. I didn't feel cleansed, I didn't feel guilty of my sin, uh, I had never felt really convicted of my sin like I did when I was saved. Um, I just went in there and as a ritual, we were taught to do that and so I did it. I didn't have any assurance of salvation at all. Right. Uh, I have a few more questions for you what a Catholic would say in response to what you have said now. But before I get to them, I'd like to come to Denise, your wife, and ask you, Denise, about your life. You grew up also as a Catholic and uh, how come um, you changed and why did you see it so important? Well, yes, I grew up as a Catholic, very, very devout family. Uh, my father was an atheist, however, my mother made sure all five of us went to church and we did so regularly every night on, during Lent and did the Stations of the Cross and also grew up in a Catholic school. So, very well indoctrinated 
had no doubt that Catholics were the ones to go to heaven and the only ones to uh, make it there. Um, as I grew older, though, and moved away from home, got into college, got involved in the world and those activities, the Catholic Church, I didn't feel like I needed it anymore. didn't need God on that personal level. wasn't really sure that he really all was that that personal, wasn't sure that really Jesus was God and just went the way of the college philosophy and that, that whole worldliness. During that time though, my heart was heavy, it was empty. I just was sad, really felt that something was missing, uh, would go through minor periods of depression, maybe three, four days, and I just felt like something was gone was wrong um, then I started reading the book and the book was a survey pretty much of the Bible through that the word of God was there and I really did come to believe again yeah, that is personal yes Jesus Christ is actually God himself and that fits so well in my Catholic doctrine so bit by bit my whole Catholic belief was reconfirmed and I was getting excited and thought this was really, really great. So as I continued reading though, the author talked about sin and our own decision to sin and what that does and how that um, puts that separation between us and God. Sinners by nature, yes, but a recognition of the fact that I had personally chose to sin and I was under serious conviction. It was serious. I think maybe for a period of maybe 15 to 30 minutes before I received Christ as my Savior, but Brother Richard seemed like five years. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. At that time, I, I went to my mother, who's the Catholic one in the family, and told her, that I just, you know, Jesus Christ was coming back again and that I wasn't going to go to heaven. And she looked at me confused and said, you've always been taught that Jesus is coming back and, and that he's died on the cross for us. And I said, yes, but, but, and I couldn't explain it to her. I had sinned. So she encouraged me to go back and read the book. I read a couple more pages and in there was a invitation, an actual invitation to receive Christ as my Savior because he had died on the cross. Well, I put the book down and got on my knees and asked Jesus to come into my heart. And he did, immediately. I got up. I was elated. Yeah, yeah. It was it was wonderful. Went back and told my mother, Oh, but Jesus is coming back again. <laughs> she said, but you are always have yeah. I've known that. But probably to put it a little bit more biblically, really, you trusted in Christ and Christ alone. You know, yes. You're yeah. putting it in more of the modern jargon and receive Christ in behalf mm -hmm. But what you said, and when we talked earlier on, uh, today before this, uh, the way you explained it is that you just trusted in Christ right. alone. Right. Yes. Um, knowing that he had died. Yeah, he had died. And what really uh, hits me so hard and so good, uh, Denise, is that you talk about being convicted. 
because there's no testimony to the grace of God unless the person says that they were convicted, mm-hmm. unless the person knows they're a sinner. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, because Paul said, and unless we uh, realize we're sinners, we're not saved. We mm-hmm. can't be saved. Right. You don't save anybody else. You only save sinners to, to um, you know, to be a candidate as this world. You've got to mm-hmm. really know that you're a sinner. And uh, if I ever hear a testimony and I don't hear conviction of sin, I just wonder, is this person really saved? Because you only save sinners. Now just to go back a little bit, Denise, can you explain how it was you were educated? Were you at public school like uh, Jeff? Or how, where, where no, was your education? I was in a parochial school from, based out of the, the church, Assumption of Mary Church, uh, from first grade through eighth grade. And that was the, the total range of grades in that school. It was headed up by the priest and most of the teachers were nuns and we had classes of about 20 to 30 kids. A good education. Mm-hmm. Good, good well, education. The, the, the Catholics are known to give a good education. Yes. But when it comes to doctrine, you know, when it comes to doctrine, biblical doctrine, uh, did the nun teach uh, biblical doctrine in any way, or was she ever challenged by any of the little students, you know, including yourself? I remember in fourth grade, Richard, that um, one one um, boy in our class questioned the nun as to why. If Jesus had died on the cross, did we have to receive the sacraments in order to go to heaven? Why, why did we have to be good? And she was taken back by that. Really, I remember a stunned expression on her face. And finally she said, well, Jesus died on the cross to open the door. Had he not died, then nobody ever, no matter how good we were, would get to heaven. And that was the extent of her doctrine. So the sacraments were... Uh, the, door, the door is open and this is the way you come in then. Is that, is that her rationale? Right. And uh, that without receiving communion, without being baptized, without receiving communion, especially between Easter and Pentecost, that yeah, yeah. You, it would be a mortal sin and you would not. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a process that you were building up sanctifying <coughs> grace. was uh, Right. As I was trained not by the nuns, but by the Jesuits, and mm-hmm. even though it was Ireland, it's similar to what mm-hmm. you had here in the States. Uh, did you pray to any of the saints in that time? Like, did you have any patron saints in the school, or no, what was the yeah. what was the school? Who was the school dedicated to? Was one of the saints, or were the saints bigger? You know, how how was your life centered? Uh, you know, in the scriptures are centered around Christ Jesus. It's mm-hmm. all about Him. The mm-hmm. Old Testament foretells His coming, and the New Testament, you know, highlights who He is and belief on Him. So. What was the school center though? Well, the school was named after the church, the Assumption of Mary. So she was the key figure. Although we did pray, even in classes to the other saints. But Mary was very, very much exalted. And during the month of May would be the, the month of Mary. And we would have a procession where we would carry her statue uh, several, several of the bigger boys would carry a statue of her on a shoulder platform. I don't, I don't know what to call it, but down from the school and into the church, and then uh, 
She was crowned with flowers and much ado made mm-hmm. of that. But yes, all the saints, but mainly Mary. Yes. I, I remember to uh, the month of May and in St. Island, but it was the same thing. I was in kindergarten before, you know, starting off school. And, uh, we were being taught by a lady in the month of May. Uh, she presented Mary on a, a little coffee table. And I was a little boy and I was just, could look right into Mary's eyes. I remember looking into the eyes of the statue and, uh, I remember talking to Mary, you know, in the prayers, the Hail Mary and others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, even then I was wondering, you know, it seems a little, funny that she's the same height as I am, you know, even though she's going to tell, you know, uh, was she not human like I am, but this is what Mother Church says, so I do it, you know, yes. and, so, and man, we do it in style, we had flowers and everything, and uh, we uh, had other saints as well, particularly one of my favorites uh, was Anthony, you know, when you lost something, yeah. you had that it was too. a big help, yeah. And we had some, uh, one of the Catholic uh, parishioners came down to the door to collect St. Anthony money. You know, if you, if you had to promise Anthony uh, that you would pay him, you know. And uh, it was a lot for us. It was in um, Irish English money, like threepence or sixpence we would pay to, for some item that Anthony was supposed to have found. So the same thing. And... Uh, that is sad because uh, life is in scripture centered on Christ Jesus mm-hmm. and it's centered yes. on his message that we must be born again. But with that I would want to come back to you Jeff and say that the Catholic Church does talk about being born again and uh, that's the way they might answer you in saying that you saw the need to be born again but did you not know your Catholic teaching. For example, I quote from the New Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is official Catholic teaching, I'm quoting from paragraph uh, 1279. The fruit of baptism, or baptismal grace, is a rich reality that includes forgiveness of original sin and all personal sins. Birth into a new life by which a man becomes an adopted Son of the Father, a member of Christ, and a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, um, what more could you ask? You know, I mean, uh, the Catholic Church talks about being born again, new life. And why not accept that um, this is um, this is the traditional way in which uh, there's far more Catholics than and uh, your particular type of church, you know, so why not, why not accept this? Why not accept that uh, you can receive being born again by being baptized? Well, baptism, if you study the scriptures, Jesus was baptized. Jesus had no sin. We know that. In Matthew 3, when Jesus was baptized, when he came to John the Baptist, and, and John asked him, or said to him, you know, I, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus said, suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. We know that baptism is an act of righteousness. We also know that Paul, in his letter to Titus, said, not by works of righteousness which we has done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. In the tract that I mentioned earlier that I found in the laundromat, 
There's also some verses from Ephesians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And as we enter into the work of baptism, that is something that I do, that is not a free gift, and uh, the scriptures are very clear that we don't earn our salvation. There's nothing that we do personally to remove our sins. It is the work of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I would tell the Catholics that baptism cannot wash away original sin. In fact, it cannot wash away any sin. It never has washed away sins according to the scriptures, which ultimately, I think, when, when we talk about a person's conversion, comes back to where are they going to find their authority? Are they going to find it in the church? Or are they going to find it in the scriptures? But the scriptures teach us that, that baptism is a work. In fact, it is an act of obedience, even as we read the Great Commission, as our Lord gave in Matthew, where he said, go out and make disciples, and then he said, baptize them. And so you have salvation, and then baptism. That's the biblical order. As a Roman Catholic, the order was baptism to earn salvation, which is not a scriptural order. Yes. Uh, you talk about uh, faith in Christ, uh, but the Catholic Church sees that um, it's the church that engenders your faith or gives life to your faith mm-hmm. and that she's the mother of all believers and that uh, the act of faith of believing is an ecclesial act or a church act. I'd like to read the official Catholic teaching. This is on paragraph 181 of the Catechism. Believing is an ecclesial act. The church's faith precedes, engenders supports and nourishes our faith. The church is the mother of all believers. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. So how can you talk about this personal faith if you don't have the Catholic Church as mother, you cannot have God as father because it is uh, the church that uh, precedes, uh, engenders, that gives life and uh, supports and nourishes your faith. Well, so how would you respond to that Catholic teaching and say, well, it's really a church act before it's a personal act? The Bible says, in, uh, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that there was one mediator between man and God. And he didn't say it was the mother church or any church or any saint in the human <laughs> He said it was the man Christ Jesus. <laughs> and that's yeah. our faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Now, uh, he also said in John's Gospel, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he didn't say but by the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the, or the Roman Catholic church. He said but by me. Um, the Bible says in the book of Acts, as Luke recorded, he said, there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's no indication in the Bible, although the church is important, there is no indication anywhere in the New Testament that salvation is through the church. It's through Jesus Christ. Yeah, so uh, we are speaking then with a great compassion for Catholics and we're not speaking again oh, no. the system. We're speaking for the person of Christ. And That's right. uh, I praise God that there's so many of us who have come to being born again, Amen. like the way you explain it. When I was in John MacArthur's church in LA, uh, um, I learned that 60% of the congregation 
more formal context. And I felt very much at home there. Uh, it was the same on the West Coast where I lived for 12 years, uh, uh, where often the majority of people were um, formal Catholics. And some of the Latino <coughs> uh, churches that I've gone to speak, I found that sometimes we make up 90, 95%. Wow. You know, so praise God. Yeah. That, uh, it's uh, many that do come. And uh, so that's why we're trying to say these things Amen. with a delicacy and with a, uh, a grief, you know, that, that, that it's, it, things are just not right. Um, you know, Richard, when, when Paul wrote the Church of Thessalonica, he mentioned that there was a group of people to be happy for, and that was the saint. And he reinforced what you just said when he mentioned that a group of people that there was to be sad for. And those are the people that don't know Christ as Savior. Mm -hmm. and, and we love Catholic people. In fact, I don't know what the percentage is at our church. I've never uh, done a survey, but maybe I will now. <laughs> but we have several converted Roman Catholics. You know, I have many family members that are still of that persuasion. I love my family. But uh, the truth is still the truth. And, and I think what we want for those people is we want to expose them to truth. Now, the Catholic Church does speak about sin and dealing with sin, and uh, I'd like to see how you respond, you know, as a former Catholic, and how you would respond to this, where they talk about the second plank of salvation, that the first plank, they say, is baptism. Now, you've dealt with that, but the second plank of salvation is the sacrament of penance. Christ instituted, they say in paragraph 1446. Christ instituted the sacrament of penance for all sinful members of his church, above all for those who, since baptism, have fallen into grave sin and have thus lost their baptismal grace and wounded ecclesial communion. It is to them that the sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert and to recover the grace of justification. The fathers of the church present this sacrament as the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is the loss of grace. So the Catholic Church is facing forthrightly the fact that somebody, they say, can lose grace and they can be shipwrecked, but there's a way back to the sacrament of penance. Uh, how would you deal with that? Uh, if you have a devout Catholic who says, well, you know, if I feel any way conscious of serious sin, I go and tell the priest and confess my sins to him. Well, first I would tell him that he wouldn't have to go confess to any man because there's only one mediator again, the man Christ Jesus. But I would try to explain to him uh, the doctrine of security, the security of the believer. Now, as a Catholic, I never had any security. I never... I don't know that many do either, by the way. But I know that me personally did it. I would begin to try to explain to him that when God saves somebody, that God gives to them eternal life and they should never perish. I think one of the problems that doctrinally that they struggle with is, the diff is, the, is, a, is a confusion over repentance and penance. When a person repents of their sin, as we both mentioned in our testimonies of, of God convicting them of our sin and acknowledging our sinnership before a holy God, then uh, God washes away our sin. We are now a child of God. 
Once I'm a child of God, I am always a child of God. The Bible does teach me in 1 John 1 that if I sin, I am to confess my sin. But I don't do that by doing penance and again, you know, hoping that I've said enough penance and doing enough things to earn God's favor and all that. It's that, God, I have sinned, I have whatever I've done, and I confess that to a holy God and ask God for forgiveness. I think John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I probably would also go to a controversial passage, some would think, but in Hebrews chapter 6, where the Bible talks about it is impossible to restore those again to salvation since how they would crucify a fresh Christ. That's not a perfect quote, but you can't get saved and lost and resaved and lost and resaved. You get saved. You can fall into sin, but you cannot fall biblically from grace. You are saved. You're secure in Christ. Um, unfortunately, there are times when we're not as saintly as we ought to be, and we, I think we often acknowledge that. But we haven't lost our salvation. So I would deal it from the, from the perspective of the security of the believer. I would try to, to explain to them a difference in the doctrine of repentance and penance. And also that once you're saved, you can't get unsaved and then resaved. And that, 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 that's, I suppose that would be a pattern. Is something that they would be, would be a pattern? Yes, and uh, I think that you explained this beautifully now. And earlier on when you were saying about... Uh, you know, the young boys, when you're a young boy, are going to confession and then going back and committing the same sin and, you know, because they could go back to confession again. <laughs> uh, it's like a yo-yo, you know, you're up and down and you're in and out and that's, that's not Christian living. No, and no. that's, we do not lose the grace of God. Once we're in Christ, we're in, we're in him forever, like Paul could say, you are complete in him, him who is the head of all principality yeah. and power. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And it's because your life is hid with Christ in God that you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Uh, because of what God has done. Not because of anything that you have done. It's because what God has done. I'd like to come back to you, Denise. And what is your desire now? Um, now that you are a Bible believer. And that you have you know, believed in Christ and Christ alone. Uh, do you have any great desire to reach out to people, Catholics and others, with the gospel? What is, what way does it come about in your, like, in daily life or weekly life? Well, um, there's many people, family members, to begin with, that I would love to see come to the truth, and um, so there's always prayer. I always pray for them. Um, I like to go out and witness and pass out tracts uh, any way that that you can get the truth out. Um, bringing them, giving people the word of God so that the Holy Spirit can bring them to the truth. Yes, uh, I got a telephone call from uh, Michael Moroffi in Maryland and he said to me, uh, Richard, uh, do you... Uh, Give the good news in the express lane in the supermarket. <laughs> and I said to my Ruffy, come off it. You know, the, I said, the express lane is the express lane. And you're, you're, meant to, you're meant to do things quickly. <laughs> and he said, uh, but Richard, does go ye stop in the express lane? Does it mean that you don't ever witness in the express lane? And I said, no, Morofi, it doesn't. And, uh, and uh, he got me to promise that even in the express lane that I would remember. And I have remembered. And uh, I have a, 
I've seen some people actually, one lady in particular, uh, it was in an Albertsons in Portland, who got convicted, you know, and it, it, it's amazing to see that God's grace is real. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. My own wife, I know that she witnessed this uh, all in every place, and when she comes back from the hairdresser, I look at her and I said, I said, Lynn, let me tell you, and I look at her hair, and I, I can tell, and I've only been wrong three times, maybe four in 17 years, I can tell how the witnessing has gone. There was a big gash on the one side, and say, you told somebody that they're dead, and sins, and that's only... Only a believer in Christ Jesus that they can come to life. And it, it is, uh, I think it's a glorious thing that many of us who were Catholics have this desire, and it's great to, to see that in, in your own life. Did you, anything to do with Jeff's own conversion and witnessing, or was there anything in, in your life before he got saved? Or did that amount to anything even regarding him I like to say that I went looking for (laughs) it doesn't equal well (laughs) as a matter of fact I was a member of this church and um, a friend and I were out one winter night passing out tracks door knocking trying to get people to take a track trying to give them the the word of God but it was very very cold so we um, quit at the fifth trailer in this little trailer park up in the area and just happened to be his trailer although he, he wasn't home he came home from work later that evening found the track it was the same type of track that he had found in the laundry map and there was the name of the church was on it and he said well I think I'll attend this church this next Sunday and through that of course we met at church and here we are. Yeah, good, good, good. good. <laughs> uh, good. Yeah, and I think it, it is important uh, uh, to give the word, and it's faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, right. but to have something to hand as well after we've given the word, which also has the word in written form, yes. because um, that indeed can make a difference. Uh, when I was uh, coming here last night uh, in the airplane uh, from Syracuse, uh, here to Rome, upstate New York. Uh, I was remembering the same commandment, go ye, you know, even though the plane was small and rather crowded, and there was uh, two Latinos opposite me uh, in the next aisle, and uh, the steward uh, came and you know, was, he was talking to the people in front, and it didn't seem to be an opportune time. But I said, the Lord said, you know, we witness and we say something. So I started mm-hmm. talking to mm-hmm. this man and his son. And they were extremely interested. Mm. You know, and he said, um, yes, that is that is so important to trust on Christ and Christ alone. He said, I was beginning to lose heart because as a Catholic, he said, uh, I just cannot look upon the priests and trust what they're doing because I know that some of them are bigger sinners than we are. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I, I yeah. didn't dwell on that part, but I said it's not any church is trusting in Christ and Christ alone. So right. he wrote out his name, Moses' his first name, and he wrote out his uh, surname, and he asked me to write to him, and he said that uh, I gave him my email address eventually. He said he had a computer at home and he would write to me and let me know uh, how it was uh, and he said he was really going to cry out to God for faith uh, trust in Christ and Christ alone and that was just 
uh, ordinary everyday uh, coming here but it's the same sort of thing as giving a tract and having a desire to witness and to, to get the word out um, what would you say if um, Jeff if you were to come across a Catholic and uh, he said he was reading his Bible and uh, he'd come to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 uh, where it says you've been dead in trespasses and sins uh, he had quickened uh, and then it goes on in verse 8 and 9 to say uh, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not a work lest anyone should boast now how would you explain that to an ordinary Catholic like you were say back in your early uh, days how would you <coughs> explain that because we have a somebody listening here who, who needs the same message mm -hmm. okay I would, when, when we come to Paul's letter to the Ephesians he says that's it, you quoted you're dead in trespasses and sin I guess this, I, without being overly theological I would ask him what can dead people do and dead people can't do anything you are dead in trespasses and sins you are consumed as a sinner and I know sometimes this comes across as an offensive message, but it's certainly not, not, not meant to be an offensive message. That, but you, we are sinners by choice. We are sinners by nature. And because you're dead in trespasses and sins, and dead men can't do anything, when you get down to those following verses, there is absolutely not a thing that we can do to save ourselves. It is a work of the grace of God in our lives, as God, by His Spirit, convicts us of the fact that, you know what, the Bible is right. I am dead in my trespasses and sins, and there's nothing I can do. It must be a. I must to totally trust in the grace of God, and I would I would angle it from the fact that dead men can do nothing. That it is the work of God on their behalf, and you are saved by God's grace. And we can't, you can't even help God save you. Because you, know? <laughs> you can't do anything. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. must trust Christ and Christ alone. My pastor back in Ohio used to say, you trust Christ and Christ alone to the saving of your soul. Uh, and I would uh, approach that. You know, there's, there's not a work that you can do. I think uh, Isaiah, boy, the reference slips on mind, but Isaiah says something to the effect that even our good works of righteousness are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. And it's like, oh man. And Paul also, in the book of Colossians, dealing with that same subject, uh, where he's talked about we are dead in trespasses, went on to say, that, you know, we're even in enmity with God. And, and our, you could honestly say, enemies of God. And so we need to take two people who are estranged, us the sinner, God the Holy One, and reconcile. Yes, and that yes. reconciliation only happens through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. I think what you said there is key, Jeff, to, to giving the message, and that's the, the fact of emphasizing being dead in trespasses and sins. And I remember one time when uh, I said the same. It was a um, man, Fernando, and <clears throat> it was in Portland, Oregon, when I lived there, and it was Friday night when we went out witnessing door to door and um, we came to the point in the conversation where I said to Fernando uh, Christ Jesus said this is the work of God that you believe on him yes. whom he has sent I said 
it's not a request, Fernando. I said, it's a commandment. God's work that you believe. And I said, you really have to trust Christ and Christ alone uh, and repent of sin yes. and uh, to have all your assurance in this person of Christ Jesus. And then he said, well, Richard, how can I do that? Mm. And I said, well, in actual fact, you can't. <laughs> I said, uh, the Bible also says, you're dead in trespasses and sins. And all, the sooner were the words out of my mouth, and he said, you get out of here. <laughs> so he, he, uh, uh, he put myself and another man, Saul Flores, who was with me, mm-hmm. he put us out of his apartment. But then he came out after us, funnily enough. And he looked at both of us, and then he put his arms around us, and he said, he said, I love you guys because you tell me the truth. You know? And that's what Jesus and that was, said. that was it, because it was hard to tell him that, and, but that was the only way where he could know that he had to look to God. It wasn't right. something that uh, you can do of yourself. You look unto God, but he is faithful and true. And so it says in Hebrews, looking to Christ the author and finisher of our faith. He gives you mm-hmm. the power and he finishes it. So it's, a, it's, it's all of him and nothing of us the way as you, you put it. So that is, that is really, really, really glorious. And, uh, you mentioned something, you know, you, you mentioned truth. And if we can give them the truth, Jesus said they shall know the truth and the truth just set them free. Yeah, you know. yeah. I think that that's an important note to come to, and I just uh, I think it really is important because um, if a a Catholic is to get the message, they must know the truth and where the truth is. Yes. And uh, the Catholic Church is emphatic when it teaches where truth is to be found. And I'd like to read again from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, where it says. As a result, the Catholic Church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scripture alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So for truth, the Catholic Church says her certainty does not come from Scripture alone, but you must equally love and reverence tradition. Uh, how would you respond to that? Because this is really important. We're talking about truth. Mm-hmm. How does a person know truth? So we don't have this basis. Uh, how are we ever going to come to salvation? Well, I think that the only way anybody's ever going to come to salvation is when they realize that God set, uh, preserved for us truth. And the psalmist recorded that, that God preserved this word from this generation forever. But also, also as we read the uh, Bible, um, faith is involved there. I mean, I personally think that when you have somebody who is anti-authority with the Bible, is a witness of Jesus Christ, uh, our hands are somewhat shackled. But the Bible talks about in Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. And he gives us four things what it's profitable for. Peter recorded, we have a more sure word of testimony. And what Peter was talking about, and the comparison there was when Christ appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. And th- those that saw that, Peter, uh, I mean, that was an incredible event. But he said, we've got something more sure than even that. 
That was the word of God. And then we also learn as we get to the end of the Bible where it talks about if you add to or take away from this book, let them be accursed. And so uh, I, would, I, would, I would go from that angle. Again, um, a church, the Catholic church, and, and depending on the individual, uh, was started later on in the Bible, of course. We had Christ, the living word, then the apostles, and, you know, as before the, even the, and I know the Catholics may argue that, but by the time John the Revelator had passed away, we had a completed revelation from God. And, uh, if they're going to talk tradition, the, the, the Bible is older than they are. And we've got the, <laughs> we've got the Bible, and yeah. that is our final authority. Um, that is one area that I think even myself personally as a pastor and, and as a student of the Word of God, when people reject the Bible, uh, I do, you know, I do, uh, I feel a little bit hand-tied. You do, because uh, you feel like there's no hope whatsoever. And uh, I come back to the fact where Christ said, Thy word is truth. Amen. It is, God's word is truth. That doesn't apply to anything. It doesn't apply to hearsay or tradition or anything. It applies only to the written word. Thy word is truth. There is an identity between truth and the written word. Uh, where Christ said, Scripture cannot be broken. John 10, 35. The, this authority is the ultimate authority. You've reached the zenith. Yeah. There's no higher place to go. Scripture. Can I ask Can you a question? For sure, yes. Uh, when you deal with a Catholic, and you're trying to get them to see the authority of the Scriptures, um, and I still, in my life, I don't know how I just accepted the fact that the Bible was authority. I guess I... I just said God had to leave us something, and it wasn't the church, um, the mother church, as you refer to it. Uh, how do you deal personally with that? Uh, I deal with a, a simple question. The questions are often the easiest way. I said, uh, you talk about tradition, and your church talks about tradition. I said, give me one sentence from Jesus Christ or from the apostles that we have outside of the written word of God. You know, what are you talking about, man? I mean, this tradition, you know what I mean? Uh, what, give me one sentence. And of course you can't, because it doesn't exist. You don't have anything outside of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you're talking about a tradition, something is common by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, human language is fluid, and it changes. And uh, it, you know, what one person says and what is passed on, uh, we're never sure and God's word is sure and Christ Jesus told us it is true yes. so uh, we cannot have certainty we do not have anything and actually if you talk about tradition but you're quoting from Greek and Latin fathers and you talk about the creeds of popes and councils that's not from God that's man's way of looking at things and uh, I thank God that I've seen Catholics say oh yes God's word is true Mm. And I say then, if you love him, you keep his word. Now, how can you talk about loving Christ if you don't keep his word? Uh, and uh, if you are to love him, you keep his word. And uh, I said this once to a, a man, he was actually from New York City, and he was working in the post office at the airport, <coughs> airport and I said, you've got to read God's word. And... Uh, I would come back the next time and I said, have you read, have you read the first chapter of John? He said, 
no record of so many other things to do, and you don't know how busy my life is, and on and on. So finally, you know, she wasn't there when I would go back to the same post office, and uh, I got a telephone call. Then he was in a nursing home because the people at the at the um, at the post office gave me my number and he phoned me and he said, Richard, I've started reading the book of John. Where do I go now? And I said, what happened? He said, I nearly went under the flowers. <laughs> that was a exact word. I nearly was now beginning to get convicted. Mm-hmm. And praise God. And it all started at the post office by saying, like God's word is true, read the word of God. And that's where it's at. Do you have a great love, Denise, for the Word of God in your own life? Or what does the Word of God mean for you? It means everything to me. Yes, I I love the Word. It just, it meets all my needs. I talked about being sad those uh, days before I was saved when I was in college. But it's the Word of God. It's the truth uh, of Jesus Christ and what He's done in God's Word that... What about your, your personal life besides church? Like how... How are you in the world? You know, what, what does it mean to you like in, a, in your own personal life during the day? I read the, uh, the word every day and um, God speaks to me through it. and um, Not in an audible voice, but in my heart again I know, I know his truth. And any time that I need an answer from God and direction, it's there. Yes, the Bible yes. is living and it's, it's, it's just there and it fills that need. Yes, yes. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome is the word. <laughs> it really is awesome. Uh, the word of God says it's like a two-edged sword penetrating between bone and marrow. Uh, read the, the word of God and you find that uh, the word of God is judging you. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you read books and you know, you discern and you sort of judge to see how it is and you pick up the scriptures. And you read, Matt, you must be born again. It begins right. judging you. you know? yeah. And it brings you under conviction. And it is, it is power. Uh, the power of God unto salvation is by the Holy Spirit through the Word. Mm-hmm. And that's the very note that I wish to finish on. Because uh, what you've shared, Jeff and Denise, has been precious. And uh, I know that we have some people who are way back like where you were before you came to know the Lord and they're still struggling so what we have discussed today is really important that we emphasize again uh, coming to the last point first because that's the basis that there is a basis of truth and that truth is the written word of God Mm -hmm. and get into the word read what God himself has said and uh, see that his word is true Uh, you cannot in any way find any contradiction it is so harmonious and clear and if parts are not brilliantly clear as most of it is it will be illuminated by the Holy Spirit comparing scripture to scripture so get into the word and then see by the word that God is the all-holy God and there is none righteous, no, yeah, not one. Right. And his wrath is against all who have sinned. And we've all sinned, like you said, Denise, and come short of the glory of God. So recognize that you're a sinner. And then look to him for what you said, Jeff, for that grace. 
because he is gracious and true and you will know the eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus so it's not just this is not just something that is interesting talk or interesting testimony this is real life this is a real person and this real person gives eternal life Mm -hmm. and so like we can finish like the apostle John said this is the record (laughs) this is the record that he has given eternal life and eternal life is in his son the Lord Jesus Christ so that is our message today and I thank you Jeff and I thank you Denise it would be lovely to hear from you and to know that you have been touched and that uh, you can write to us or email us and it will be just a joy to hear from you and we will respond personally to each person we hear from so trust on the Lord Jesus Christ and know that eternal life that is his to the praise of the glory of his grace Amen and Amen Amen